Hi, I'm Nicole Glenn, co-founder of the LLC podcast, and it's an honor to introduce listeners to inspiring women who are making a real difference in logistics and supply chain with the LL pods. Wow, guys, with the LLC podcast, you'll hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges our guests overcame, how their backgrounds helped to shape them into who they are today and how they've empowered others to give back to their communities and often the world. Joining me today is Stephanie Vendetto, founder and CEO of Queen of Raw, a marketplace to quickly and easily buy unused fabrics online. Because today, more than $120 billion worth of excess fabric sits in warehouses around the world. So let's hear all about this directly directly from Stephanie. So Stephanie, welcome. Thank you Thanks. for joining us today. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, thank you, Nicole. Thrilled to be here and be a part of it and connecting with all of you. Awesome. Awesome. So from our intro call and reading all about you on all of the different platforms, which we're going to share a link to all these wonderful articles and videos about Stephanie, but Stephanie, if you can just give us a little bit more background of yourself so we could share with the listeners you know, the values that were instilled into you when you were a kid and your early influencers and mentors. So Absolutely. you want to hop right in, that would be awesome. You bet. And you know, any great founder story actually starts before you were born, right? And yeah. for me, it was a hundred years <laughs> before I was born. In 1896, my great grandfather came over on a ship from Austria. He landed at Ellis Island and is settled into the Lower East Side of New York which was the original Jewish immigrant kind of garment district. And he had to make a living. He was chasing the American dream and he came with nothing. So what did he do? He actually found materials and supplies nearby, old fabrics and furs and things immigrants had brought over on the ships with them, but they weren't using anymore. And he would repurpose them by hand into the most beautiful fashion garments. And he sold them to local customers. And it was an incredibly profitable, successful business. Many of these coats I still wear 100 plus years later. And of course, he didn't talk about it as sustainability or circular logistics or anything. But at the end of the day, that's very much what it was. It made sense for people, for planet, and for profit. And so I grew up hearing these stories of the old school ways of doing business. I did not do the family route. Um, I ended up on Wall Street as a corporate attorney, but specializing in fashion, technology, supply chain, logistics, and, and startups, and sustainability. And kind of always knew I wanted to go out and build a business and go change the world. And so when the market crashed in 08 and 09, very similar to kind of what's going on in the world today, I actually took that as my opportunity. I said, if not now, when? Took a leap, went out and started building solutions to solve this problem of supply chain waste and never looked back. Uh, so it's been an exciting wild ride ever since. Um, but if that can be any inspiration hope to people today, it's that you can harness this as an opportunity to go solve these world challenges and business challenges. Oh, for sure, for sure. So one of the things that we talked about on our pre-call that just fascinated me and I wish I had had it. Tell us about your younger years because you're such a great speaker. You're so comfortable. You're so, I mean, this is a thing for people. A lot of us are not, you know, equipped to just hop on a camera or go in front of an audience. And you, you do that often, you know, tell, tell me about your, your early years when you learned how to do that. 
I don't think I realized at the time just how important that was going to be, but I grew up in a predominantly female household. I went to an all women's school for 13 years from kindergarten through 12th grade. And one of the things they did early on was have us do public speaking training. And we'd have a class once a week and we had to get up there with our little note cards and give a, give a presentation. And then the, over the years, it got bigger and bigger and bigger where we ended up having to speak in front of thousands of people. And I obviously the idea there was to be able to articulate thoughts, think differently, you know, have an entrepreneurial spirit, which was really ingrained in us early on at the school and in my, in my family, but also to be able to speak confidently in public. And obviously as woman, a woman in tech, a woman in sustainability, right? It becomes even maybe more important. And so I, that became one of the most valuable things I ever did. It's a skill that I continue to try to train and practice and learn and improve from because at the end of the day, you can build the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. But if you can't evangelize it, if you're not out there talking about it, if nobody knows about it, uh, then what good is it? And it's kind of funny because when I look back on even my journey with Queen of Raw and how we talk about it, I don't think I also realized early on how important that first pitch is. Uh, we had an opportunity on a huge stage to pitch Ashton Kutcher, Gary Vee, P. Diddy. Now, the trick was on a live studio TV audience, I had 60 seconds to do it. And that is, a, I think, a real showpiece where that training came up because, you know, you normally have your 20-minute pitch. You've got your even five-minute pitch. But a 60-second pitch to explain what you're doing, who you are, why, you know, it's, it's a lot. Did you practice to help? I practiced so much to the point where um, I was pushing my three-year-old son in the streets one day in New York. And I leaned into the carriage because he was saying something. And I'm hearing over the loud New York City streets are you naked right now? No, because you're using fabric. It's everywhere and it's polluting your water. He was doing my 60 second pitch. So on the one hand, I'd probably practice too many times pushing the stroller as a working mom. But on the other hand, I said, okay, if he can get it, anyone can get it and we can and will change the world. So it's kind of been a huge skill that, you know, I hope everyone takes advantage of if given the opportunity. Do those competitions, practice your pitch. Um, it's still a pitch I use to this day. I know this is kind of off script, but who did you learn from with developing a pitch? Like, yeah. Where did you go to find resources on that? Um, so there's a lot out there on pitching. And of course, there are different types of pitches, right? There's your pitch to investors and that famous Guy Kawasaki 10 slide deck. There's your, you know, as I said, your 20 minute pitch, your five minute pitch. Um, to get down to a 60 second pitch, we did a couple things. We obviously looked at the pitching we've been doing and trying to learn from kind of online tools and resources. But we also had gone through the Techstars Accelerator and doing those kinds of accelerators and programs are great because you get access to incredible mentors. And some of our mentors had been um, pitch competition winners in startup space and knew how to hone an, in on your pitch. And some of them were actually incredible writers and had come from like formal writing and training and, and public speaking training. And we learned from them and we practiced. And obviously it's practice make perfect. I mean, it is something probably one of the hardest things I've ever done was get that 60 second pitch crafted to where it really spoke to who we are, who right. I am, why we Powerful. do it. 
That has um, to be so powerful. It yeah. has to. But the yeah. best thing I could say, you know, practice it off your children, right? Pra make sure they get it. Practice it in front of, you know, taping yourself on Zoom. Practice with any other people and get feedback from investors, from customers, from your friends. And you just keep honing it in and getting better and better. But, you know, good to think outside the box. And it's always fun to have a nice, sexy beginning catchphrase like, are you naked right now to get some attention? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it will. It will definitely grab people. They'll go, wait, wait, what did I just hear? Yeah. <laughs> so another thing you had talked about was your, your inspiration, your famous person that was inspirational to you. So I would love to talk about that too, because I think listeners would go, hey, I'm going to research that and find out how this person put fire into you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I if you can't tell my personality, if the accent doesn't give it away, I am in New York City, uh, born and raised in the suburbs, girl. And in my family, it was a lot of strong women who inspired me every day, including my grandmother, my mother, um, my sister. But we were asked in our school in seventh grade in our current events class to write a paper. Um, and we spent months working on it, researching a woman of importance who spoke to something powerful of what they did and, and that we look up to because they wanted women, rightfully so, to have a good person of influence, right, to look up to and someone to think about it as an orienting light. And so I had been reading the news and at the time it was very popular and to read about Aung San Suu Kyi who at the time was a Burmese freedom fighter, now Myanmar, and, you know, in a country with a lot of challenges and oppression in groups fighting, she stood for what she believed in, and that was democracy. And it was so extreme and such a challenge for her, it led to where she spent the majority of her life under house arrest. But she never wavered from what she believed. And in the end, it ended up making major strides and waves in Myanmar's um, political environment. And that kind of determination and fighting against oppression and, and really inspired me that you know one person and then with the collective support of others can and will change the world, um, even one woman for a whole country, right? And it, it spoke to me miles away from, from Myanmar. So it's it's someone I continue to follow her journey and I had followed her path. And whenever those days, inevitably as a startup founder, right, you've got days that are more challenging than others and right. problems you don't necessarily know how you're going to think through it and solve it. But two steps forward, one step back is still one foot forward. And I kept thinking of her and what she dealt with and how she stood by, the, you know, her 60 second pitch, her guiding light, her internal monologue for democracy. And it's, it's a big part of what continues to drive me to this day. That's awesome. That is awesome. I'm going to share her name because when you it said is hard to pronounce time, it yes. <laughs> I was like, whoa, how do we look that up? Because I would love to learn more about this person. So we'll share the name in the actual podcast so people can take a look at that. But I, you touch base on being an attorney and going through all of that on Wall Street. And you had said that when we hit the recession, you decided to make this change. So how did you shift from attorney into the queen of raw? Like what's what happened in between? 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, I do have to say having a legal background has been incredibly helpful. It helped in my public speaking, in my negotiating and drafting contracts and how I think about things, right? And the logic behind it um, definitely helped in the early stages of the startup. Although we have full outside legal counsel now, I saved a lot in legal bills in the beginning yeah, doing yeah. my own, um, as any bootstrap startup will. Uh, but I, I kind of always knew I wanted to go build this business and change the world. And when the market crashed in 08 and 09, talk about seeing the height of kind of waste, greed, excess, right? Recession, depression for a lot of people around me. And I just said, if not now, when? And at the time, uh, you know, like you said, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but where do you start? How do you, right. What do you do? And I had a good friend from college who had invented a new leather alternative but she's creative, but she didn't have any business and legal background, didn't know how to bring this to market. And so we partnered together in it and we started building the business. And it kind of started taking off when sustainability was just starting to get talked about years ago. And as we were building that business, like any good business, you learn and grow. I would go to all these big, big companies in, and I would see all this perfectly good stuff just sitting there in warehouses collecting dust that they were going to burn or send to landfill. And I said, it's great that you're buying this new sustainable leather alternative from me, but you got all this perfectly good stuff. This is just a supply demand mismatch. And how can we use technology to provide the bridge? And this is a supply chain logistics business issue. And that became the impetus for the bigger problem that I just had to solve, which was Queen of Raw. Um, so for anyone who's out there thinking about a solution or problem and how to solve it, your path may not always be exactly direct, but you're learning from these experiences, right? And it obviously does get you to where you need to be. Um, so through that, obviously led to, to what I'm currently building today. And that was one of the things we talked about. I thought it was awesome. You had not had any experience in tech. No. And you jumped right in there. And can you just explain the process of what that was like from going from what you knew to what you know today on the tech side of things? Yeah, right. I mean, we are at our core, a technology company. We build supply chain software and marketplaces and complex logistics. And, you know, if you asked me at that time how to build a website or how to code, like I, I would have no idea. So I knew technology was going to be critical to our solution. This was a complex global supply chain problem. It needed technology. But you're right. Where do you go? What do you do on day one? How do you not get stuck in the mud? So I actually, I was in New York City um, and I went to General Assembly, which is a great technology hub for anyone who doesn't know. And at the time, I don't know if they still do, but at the time they had a big in-person job board and you could post people, technologists could post jobs of what they were looking for. And I saw this one job ad and I still have the ad and something about the personality, the voice behind it, the experience just resonated with me. And I contacted that individual, Phil Durasmo, and asked him to meet me at a Starbucks in New York. And I started telling him about this issue. And he started mapping out on a napkin uh, at what the solution would look like. 
and we've been working together ever since. So, you know, you find the partners who complement what you do and can support you. I'm proud to say I now know a lot more about blockchain machine learning technology than I did then, but finding that kind of a partnership and someone who could support what you need to do, um, it was critical for us early on. It made a big difference and really proud to have him as our CTO and co-founder today. No, that is awesome. And that's what we talked about too, was like taking a risk on a partner, investing your time and, and jumping all into it. That's, that's amazing that you, you, you do. And, and you definitely, especially in a startup, right? You have to go head first and give it a hundred thousand percent and more. Um, and there'll be a lot of no's and there'll be a lot of challenges early on, but you will find the early adopters, the early co-founders and partners, the early companies who understand your vision and your mission. And you just lean into those and get to the next yes and the next, right? Unfortunately, a lot of our no's then through the pandemic and the opportunities that afforded have now turned into yeses, but you know, overnight success years in the making. And you're right though, when we kind of joined with our co my co-founder, we, we wanted to go in on this together, but we wanted to be smart, right? I was a lawyer. He had been a businesswoman. We both come from Wall Street, um, had, you know, real world experience. He had been at Citibank Smith Barney. So we, we did take our time in getting to know each other, in working on certain projects together for a certain time period. And of course, when we kind of came together officially, having a stronger contract in place between us and obviously vesting shares over time where both of us continued to grow and have skin in the game as we hit certain milestones. So those are just some, you know, a few little points that are very helpful early on as you build a relationship, get to know someone because it is, you know, you're, if you're in it for the long haul, you're in it for a long time and you want to be able to do, to do that with your founders. For sure. And I have a feeling that you utilized your gut and that feeling too. It isn't just what people can do on paper. It's how you can craft that relationship and be honest and yeah. really put that passion out there and see if they match that. So it's, it's not easy to do. So yeah. it's like kudos to you guys for working through that and Thanks. making that work for the two of, yeah. I mean, that's, nice. that's actually a job in itself to start. Yes. And then it goes on to, to what you what you've built today. So I know we've kind of talked very topically about what you've done with with your company, but can you give us a little bit more in depth of what it is that the company does and how do they find people to sell these products to? Like what what exactly is that for everybody? Yeah. Yeah, for Queen of Raw, it has definitely been a journey. Um, we saw, as you had mentioned, this supply chain waste problem, all that unused inventory. And through the pandemic, that 120 billion is now 288 billion and growing in unused raw materials and finished goods. So this is obviously a huge pain point for companies, but how do you think about a solution for something so big? It's not like we came up with full enterprise software on day one. We started with the quickest and easiest piece, what we thought of the solution would be. And that was a marketplace, right? Like a thread up, a real, real, a Poshmark, a Depop, but for unused fabric. Give businesses and individuals a platform to quickly and easily post their unused stuff and buy and sell with each other. And so we very quickly got a website up and just started having a point of view, talking about what we were doing and, and learning from our customers. And funny enough, the demand was through the roof. The challenge for us was the supply. And not because it's not out there. We've all seen, if you go look in our closets, right? And, or in companies' warehouses, you know this stuff is there. But how do you get it quickly and easily from the warehouse to the web 
and into buyers' hands. Mm -hmm. That was the supply chain logistics challenge. And that is what we spent our time and resources building, right? So, you know, marketplaces, there are a lot of powerful marketplaces. And when they take off and the network effects happen, they're incredible beasts. But for us, the opportunity, especially for larger enterprise companies, was how do we build the software to help them quickly and easily find this stuff? Obviously, monetize and sell this stuff, but maybe most importantly, read the data and minimize the waste going forward, helping them be more efficient, improving bottom and top lines. And that's what led to the enterprise software that we've built. So it continues to be a journey, right? Like any business, we continue to add technologies, tools, um, and and fun stuff to help our customers just continue to do better and based on their needs. Um, Are you you finding too, Stephanie, that as you keep developing this brand of, of who you are in your company, that people are starting to seek you out Yes. Actually, is that I I wasn't sure if that would happen in the beginning, like any business, right? You have to be out there, as we talked about, evangelizing what you're doing. And so a lot of people were saying, how are you spending so much time talking and speeches and trade shows and competitions and events? And I did it intentionally because at the time in 2018, the world wasn't as aware as it is today to understand value of waste and supply chain and logistics challenges, right? And and sustainability. We had a lot of educating to do. And so a lot of the companies we'd go to would say, oh, that's a nice to have, you know, go talk to our newly created sustainability department. But a lot of times that new position just was too new. They didn't have a budget. They didn't have direction yet. They weren't fully ingrained into the complex supply chain of an organization. And so, you know, if any good can come out of the pandemic, I think it is this, we've woken up and are more aware now to the need to do better for people, for planet, as we mentioned, but also for profit. And so all that time and resources we spent educating and doing podcasts and doing, you know, TV shows and really helped because it it brought everyone to where we are today. And now, as you said, they can kind of seek us out and we can continue to try to be leaders, um, thought leaders and, and business leaders in this space. And I would say even as a logistics company owner, I do go visit clients and I keep hearing the word sustainability, sustainability. So it's it's amazing that it's starting to be an emphasis. It and I is. Think, yeah. It, you know, but you know what's funny? Like when I hear that S word sustainability, it means so many things to so many people. And I'm glad it means something to people today. Mm-hmm. And most people now have heard of it. But I think the challenge that we have is that a lot of times for companies, especially if you don't know what exactly what it means, you don't know where to go and what to do on day one. It seems almost overwhelming. You get stuck in the mud. And that's why I've been such a proponent of kind of waste and supply in supply chains, because if you can find waste, you can sell it and make money today. And then you can take that money and put it back into doing good work in your supply chain. You can pay your workers more. You can improve, you know, right, your partnerships, your logistics. You can use more sustainable materials. And you can do it without your overall CapEx expenditures going up. And so at the end of the day, I know as much as businesses care about sustainability, and they do, it has to make economic sense as well. Otherwise, why would any company adopt it? How could they? And, you know, obviously, I think consumers are demanding it, which is great. And I'm sure you're very aware, right? The laws are changing. And so the world is requiring it. But we have to make sure we build business models that make business sense when it comes to sustainability. For sure. I mean, I'm talking about another podcast guest that I had had that you you actually know 
Lisa Morales Halibu. Yes. She had told me that when products are not used, it could be up to 40%, like you had said, even with the fabric, literally goes into a landfill or gets lit on fire. I mean, if we think about the tonnage of that and what that does to our environment, you know, oh. it's just, it's beyond impactful. And I think even the data that you're showing and, and the data of what that impact is on the world is finally getting people's ears, you know, that we, we need. It, it is. I mean, just I don't like to harp too much on the scary statistics because obviously yes. I like to talk about the solutions. How, yes. But by some accounts, fashion and textiles is the number two polluter in the world of clean water globally. And here's one fact that always resonated with me, according to the World Wildlife Fund. If we continue at the current pace of textile production by 2025, two thirds of the entire world's population will face shortages of fresh water and be exposed to hazardous chemicals from textile production alone. And I mentioned that because we're not talking about 100 years from now. We're not talking about 50 years from now, right? Mm -hmm. We're literally talking about today and on our shores. But I like to flip that. And the final kind of inspiration message I'll leave with everyone is that also means that fashion and textiles have the power to solve the world's water crisis if we rethink models and how we do things. And to me, that's incredibly powerful. It's a big part of what Lisa is doing, right, with on-demand manufacturing. And I think as we look at supply chains of the future through the pandemic, I definitely think we're going into a world where supply chains and logistics are going to become much more on-demand, more local, more digital, and more sustainable, right? And we need resources, technologies, and tools to, to provide and support that. So with this whole concept of sustainability and moving forward, where do you see your company in about five years from now? So, you know, we started obviously in textiles because it's a huge opportunity nobody was paying attention to. And fashion is the biggest consumer of that. But if you think about it, it's not just your clothing. It's also the material on your chair the inside of your car, the carpet under your feet right now. And so we're excited as now we are growing in other verticals, in automotive, aviation, computer electronics, consumer goods, CPG and packaging. But at the end of the day too, it's not just textiles. Any raw material or finished good that is not being used, how do we find it? How do we monetize it? And how do we measure it and minimize it? And that's what our software does at the end of the day. So very excited to see the power that can happen when we come together, both for circular economy, but also across industries and around the world. And we're just getting started. My gosh. I just, every time I just think of you, I just think of the word disruptive. Like oh it, it's wonderful in, out there, putting yourself out there. And so thinking about that and where you're headed and where you've come, like, What's the best advice you've ever gotten in your career? Or what's the best advice that you've got that you didn't take that you'd love to share with our listeners? Two pieces of advice. Um, and some may resonate with people. It may be things you've also heard. The first, which my school, early school upbringing obviously put into me was don't be afraid. So often as entrepreneurs, we want to hold what we're doing close to our chest. We want to perfect it. We're afraid other people are going to steal the idea. And you almost wait too long to show it to the world and to evangelize it. Start talking about what you're doing immediately and get it out there. Don't be afraid to put it out there because you have to learn from your customers, your community, from the competition, from the feedback, right? And the criticism in order to improve and evolve. The other thing that someone told me is don't be afraid to move into a crowded space. 
a lot of times we look for business opportunities where like nobody has ever touched this, right? Or it's totally different than anything else out there. The interesting thing about moving into what may be a more competitive space and obviously the space that we're in has become more competitive through the pandemic as people have woken up to these issues, is that you can learn from those around you, learn from anyone who came before you and be the last player in the market to really dominate. And so those are just two things that really kind of have, have kept close to me. And when I think about why I do what I do, I'm doing it for my children, right? I want them to have clean water to drink, clothes that aren't toxic to wear and a planet to live on. And I'm not stopping till I do. That's amazing. I have one last question for you, you bet. which is if you can teach young women coming into this industry one thing, what would it be? You've already given a bunch of awesome nuggets, but what's that one big thing? Yeah, no, I, and I, we, it's what we started this with, right? For, for young women in this space, oh, don't be afraid to speak publicly. Get that public speaking training early on. And then kind of along those that same topic and, and finding confidence in yourself, um, don't be afraid to be a working mom, right? Uh, a lot of people are afraid to start businesses because of the time and resources it takes, especially when they have a family. And of course, I understand not everybody is in a position to be able to do it for a variety of reasons. But don't just let the fact that you have children be a reason you don't do something because I actually launched Queen of Raws. I was having my first child and it only made me stronger. Of course, yes, I had less time and resources available. I had a child, but in many ways it made the time I had more valuable. I was more efficient in, in how I used my time. I was obviously up at fun cuckoo hours, which was great to work with international clients. And it gave me that inspiration of why I do what I do. And I'm a better mom and a happier mom because I do that. And I make him and my children, my two sons as a part of the business, right? Let them feel a part of it, understand why I do what I do. And they come into a number of our videos and <laughs> events as well. So um, you're, we're all stronger together. Just do it. Amazing. Well, that is the end of our show. So Stephanie, thank you so much for your time on coming on here and just telling us about your journey. I think what I've taken from you is take a risk. It's okay. Jump in, feel that passion, let yourself in, in on fire with that momentum and conquer or try to in any way that you can when you believe in something. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I loved having you on here. Thank you. My pleasure. And let's go change the world. Agreed.